How does a practicing board-certified pathologist become a shaman and life coach known for helping people access their animal guides? You're listening to Frau Amy's World, episode number one. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today I'm talking with Sarah Bamford Seidelman, author of Born to Freak, Swimming with Elephants, and most recently, The Book of Beasties, where even on the cover, we're greeted by animal guides. Okay, so we have an elephant and a giraffe. Yes, we have an elephant, we have a honey badger, which many of you may have remembered from a few years back, got some pretty amazing YouTube fame, and then of course a giraffe and butterfly. It's kind of African-centric, which is kind of interesting, but we thought it looked, we really liked the cover. We thought it was beautiful. Why those particular animals for you? Well, I'll say the elephant is really important to me. This particular elephant is actually depicting Alice, the elephant, who is a a spirit animal for me personally, who, um, now not all spirit animals want to be known in the way that Alice does, but she communicated with me years ago that she would like to be um, known and like to share her, her image and Um, and so forth with her. And really, she comes from a time in my life when um, I was sort of in utter confusion. I was in a medical practice, a practicing physician, and um, I had taken a sabbatical and was just on the cusp of trying to decide whether I should go back to work, be practical and pragmatic, or whether I should stay, continuing to pursue this strange, magical world that I had felt stumbled into of animal spirits. And Alice showed up to encourage me that it would be good if I could just manage to be myself, that I could let go of my medical credentials and that somehow I would be carried along. (laughs) That has got to be scary as heck. Yeah, it was definitely. I think the golden handcuffs for some of us, that's, you know, we're all going to have our challenges in life, like the thing we need to let go of in order to find more joy. Sometimes it's a grief, you know, we need to let go of a person slowly by grieving them. Could be anything, you know, something you've lost. For me, it was, yeah, letting go of the security of having a well-paying job with benefits. This is a sort of a second iteration. I wrote an original book, but this is like the beefed up and much enriched volume because now I've worked with so many people with their spirit animals, noticing what animals cross your path, whether they're in dreams, whether they're on your Facebook feed, whether you're like stumbling across them on an actual trail in the wilderness, or maybe even recalling ones that have been significant for you, encounters you've had in the wild. It causes us to to pay attention to what's happening in our life and then to ask ourselves, okay, if if this encounter with this beastie has some meaning for me, what might be the message this beastie has? And really that way of viewing the world is what got me through that massive transition because it was incredibly confusing and I really couldn't see, you know, where I wanted to go or the end result. So I had to just pay a lot of attention to what was going on moment by moment and begin to learn how to read the signs. Say a little more about that. So you met Alice while you were going through that? Yeah. So this summer, so I had been for a few years in, in my medical practice, I was feeling more and more disconnected from what we were doing. And my main focus was diagnosing disease, which I had loved and been fascinated with for years, decades. 
but it's suddenly started feeling really not fun to me, not as interesting, which that started to feel quite dangerous because, you know, you can imagine I'm the person who's trying to decide if something's benign, malignant, or I'm seeking out of 100,000 cells on a, a smear of cells, I'm looking to try to find the two or three that are maybe atypical or malignant and concerning. Wow. And you need to be paying attention to do that job and to do it well. And I started thinking, hmm, if I'm not interested in this, something bad could happen. So that's where I ended up taking a sabbatical. And during that time, I started walking around in the woods a lot more just because I had free time for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And we have four kids. My husband's also a physician. So our life was pretty uh, manic and busy with just everything going on. But when I started stumbling around in the woods, I started feeling a lot better. And I was kind of like, wow, what is this? I, I don't know. And then I stumbled into this ancient concept that indigenous people have held all over the planet for as long as recorded time, that when an animal crosses your path, it may have a message for you. And in fact, there may be one or maybe more than one, but typically at least one wild animal that that spirit walks with you your whole life, kind of born with you when you come here, when you incarnate or when you know you're conceived and come to the earth. And that idea really got me going. I was like, wow, like what animal could my animal be? And I started writing lists and being really linear and logical about it, like a physician, scientist, you know, I was like, hey, <laughs> I was just writing these lists. And meanwhile, I was telling friends and colleagues and about this, and they were like figuring out who theirs was really easily. They're like, oh, I know what mine is. And I was like, no way. And then like, I would explain to them the whole thing that, you know, when you start living your life and viewing the world in the way that beastie sort of does, you'll be aligning with kind of more of your own inner power. And also, you know, you'll just be able to be more effective in life. One of my best friends, for example, realized her, what I like to call a core beastie now was an eagle. And at the time she was super exhausted. She's an interior designer and she was just like wiped out from a lot of stuff. So she sat with this idea that the eagle was her beastie. And she's like, okay, eagles basically, you know, they spend most of their time either soaring at a really high altitude, kind of looking down or they're resting in the nest because when they do go hunting, it takes a lot out of them. So when they do like if they're going to catch a fish and they dive down and grab that 20 pound northern and haul it back to their huge nest, it's like, it takes a lot out of them. So they do a lot of resting, but they're excellent hunters. Like they don't usually start, you know, they're not ones that they have to hunt a million times when they go after a fish. Typically they get the fish and they, you know, they're pretty effective. So she started, you know, shifting her work schedule. She's an entrepreneur. So she began to shift her work schedule to spending more time resting and less time running around doing the detailed stuff of life. And in that, she found a lot more um, joy in her work and also, you know, more success in her business. And so keeping that eagle-like perspective for her was really important. And I was like, wow, I want to know what's mine. Who is my beastie? And so eventually I endeavored to go on what, what's called a shamanic journey, which is basically a method for altering the consciousness or going into a, we might say a deep meditation by using drum or sonic driving. That's just something that's done by, again, shamanic cultures all over the planet. Typically drum is the most common. You'll see that Northern Europe, you know, all of Europe and Siberia, Australia, South America, Central America. But also, you know, you'll see other things like didgeridoo, different things like that, or rattles also sometimes. We alter our consciousness and then we go looking for a spirit animal in a place that's called the lower world, which is this. And again, like if you're listening to this and you're like a board certified physician or an accountant or a lawyer or, you know, whatever you are, you might be going, 
say what? Because I know that's for sure what I thought. Uh, but when I did take that first journey, I really experienced some uh, a kind of a profound love. And I, I met up with this bear. That was actually the first beastie that I met. And she was so loving and so reassuring. Um, and she just kind of rubbed my back. And she's like, Sarah, and this is, I'm panicking, you know, because I'm like, I don't want to go back to work. I don't, it just feels like hell to go back to work, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know where this is going. Like, I'm so confused. She's like, where you're going, Sarah, it's just not that far. And, you know, just enjoy the journey. You know, that was her. And it was so calming. And when I came back from that experience, which was like 15 minutes, I was like, wow, like I've never really experienced anything that loving. And I don't really care what that is, if I made it up or if it's, I, I didn't know what exactly had happened, but I was like, I think I'm going to go back. <laughs> you know, and it's a funny thing you said. I loved your disclaimer. And if you're academic, if you're, you're a lawyer or whatever, don't think I'm crazy. But when you went back to work and you started telling people about this, they were like, ooh, what's my spirit animal? Like, there's a real hunger for this kind of connection. So I would love for you to talk about why right now this book is coming out and why right now it's the perfect time for this kind of a thing. Yeah, well, I think we're not just me personally, but I think the whole planet is kind of in this major shift and change. You know, the weather is wild. We're having earthquakes and volcanoes at like unheard levels, hurricanes. You know, so much is going on in our country in terms of what we thought was true and who we thought we were and who we're finding out maybe that's not true. So much upheaval and so much pain, I think, is being stirred up for lack of a better, you know. And I think that we have two options, you know, when we're faced with all this chaos, we can either pull the covers back over our head and go back to sleep because it's too much, or we can become empowered and we can stay awake and we can do what it is we came here to do, do we came here to do and restore balance to the world. And I think mm. how we do that is by following our own internal guidance. And that's what I found that the connecting to the messages of nature and of the spirit animals in particular was really powerful for me. And I think also, the biggest gift that we can give to anybody, just our presence, you know, our presence is medicine. Mm. And I think that any practice that gets you paying attention is going to help you get better and better at when you show up at a meeting or you show up in the morning for your kids at the breakfast table or you show up wherever you're showing up with a client, writing a book, whatever it is you're doing, like when you're, you know, really there, mm -hmm. something good's going to happen. You know, you... I think we're, you know, walking, talking, sacred altars. We have that potential anyway. I also have the potential to be like, what? Yeah, completely disoriented and distracted. And I think, you know, we're human too. Right. I was telling you this earlier, Sarah. So I went on Facebook and Facebook right now, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot to pay attention to. And yesterday you had a picture. No, it's a video. It was a video of a flower, just like this flower, this beautiful fuchsia what kind of flower was it? It was a peony, yes. A oh pink. My, yes, yes, it was a peony. And I was like, oh, I really needed that. And it's not that we stop thinking. We have to be aware, but it's also, we get so up in our head about, oh, I have to do something. Blah, 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 blah. And that's not always the most helpful way to go into challenges. Right. We have to find, you know, looking at the two extremes, we're either really exhausted and overwhelmed and, and saddened, which I think is part of 
when we see, uh, you know, a volcano erupting and dozens and dozens of families um, being completely wiped out, it's, it would be abnormal not to feel moved by that and to feel maybe even despair, the pain of that suffering, you know, that those, those folks are feeling. But then we can't stay in that place because then we might not be able to even help, like we might not even have the energy to feed our dog or to, you know, show up for work if that, you know, so it's sort of that balance of being able to feel and be alive that way, but then also to feel strong and connect to our own inner guidance of like, what do I need to do? How, what is my response to this, this tragedy, this crisis, whatever is going on? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, you know, a person who, you know, who's sick, or maybe you're the one who's sick. But, you know, what is my res- response to this? You know, for some people, it might be marching. For somebody, it might be writing new legislation. Gosh, I was just at a meeting last night, which was, I almost didn't go because I was like, this doesn't sound like something I'm interested in. Um, it was a woman talking about how she works for a, an equities company, like a shareholding company. Mm-hmm. But it turns out their whole thing is they want to hold companies accountable for them attending to the environment and knowing the impact of their businesses on the environment. So there, she writes letters to places like Target and Costco, explaining to them that we're losing our pollinators, like the the honeybees are extremely threatened Mm -hmm. and they should be concerned about that too because it's gonna impact their bottom line. So she's used her medicine in transforming and healing the world is basically explaining to these people who wanna make money hey, if you want to make money, you really need to be interested in healing and helping our little friend, the honeybee. Right. And rewriting how you're doing business based on that. So, right. you know, for some people it's painting. Uh, for me, maybe writing. But whatever it is, you, if, you know, if you're paying attention and sometimes it takes a while to get, but I think the spirit animals can really help us to really make that connection deeply. And shamanic journeying too because there's so many layers of sort of social stuff that sometimes we have to shed before we can do the thing we want to do. I've actually been getting to know Alice through your other book, Born to Freak. Oh yes. Born to Freak. Do you have that one? A salty primer. Yes. And I love this message of, no, you do your thing, do your thing. Cause that's what you're here for. And we have no business saying, well, but what can I do? Because that's not really helpful. That's, that's the most selfish thing of all is, throw away the gifts that we've been given at exactly this moment. Yeah. It's like, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. It's okay. And it's like that, what, you know, unless if that speaks to you, then go for it. Like if you hear there's a bus going to like Chicago to like stand on city hall and you know, if that jacks you up, then by all means, (laughs) like go do that. But if you see somebody like quietly knitting, you know, crochet hot pads that are made out of butterflies And that somehow has you riveted, do that. Like just trust that whatever it is you're drawn to being, to doing is somehow, it's like that Rumi quote, you know, whatever is calling you, whatever, you know, you're longing for is also longing for you. Oh, I love that. (laughs) The three years before that I took my sabbatical, I was really struggling and I just had this weird, weird um, yearning to decoupage things. <laughs> decoupage this weird old timey thing where you glue, you know, like images onto glass. 
I don't know. I became a total maniac for it. Like I was, I was like in antique stores buying like old, old images of, but it turned out it was all these animals. And at first it was domestic animals, like cows and pigs and chickens. And then eventually it went into more like elephants and sea urchins and all these like crazy wild animals. And at the time I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, what good is this? You know, like, am I supposed to sell this stuff? It was very confusing. But looking back, that was kind of the kind of the doorway that was opening into spirit animals. I think if spirit animals had somehow showed up at my doorstep or been, you know, like approaching me in dreams constantly, it might've been really upsetting, but instead they kind of just gently made their way in by opening my eyes to this or reopening that door, you know, which was open, of course, as a kid, I loved animals. Um, Mm. But so whatever you're drawn to is a key to how you're going to help, how you're going to find your meaningful work. Um, So whatever it is, whether it's essential oils or it's a cooking class or it's a yoga teacher training, whatever it is, like be willing to allow yourself the gift of exploring it any way you can, because it's going to take you somewhere else, somewhere else really good. And it's going to be a a fun adventure and a challenging one. Well, I love how, I mean, your books, because your books are beautiful and, and, you know, clearly there's a lot of love put into them, but they do kind of, now that you mention it, they do kind of look like decoupage. There's this beautiful aesthetic to it that's, Lord, I want, I want to have that on my book, except not mine, like my way though, right? But I look at right. them and like, that is clearly Sarah, radiates who you are. I also think it's interesting, you know, my path that I was a German teacher and I'm like, well, you know, okay, Cold War's over. What is this even useful for? And like, you know, quit my job. Like for me, nothing is wasted. All the things come back around just in a, you know, it, it got broken open and recollaged in a different way, reconfigured, but mm-hmm. it's all the little elements are like, oh, it's, it's still there. So for you, it sounds to me like you're still doing a lot of healing work and, and, and counteracting dis-ease, but just from a, from a, different angles stepped over here a little ways and and are now doing it from this direction. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah. It's funny that you should say that because yeah, a lot of my clients will, you know, a lot of people ask me like, how could you throw away all those years of medical training? And I think, I don't know, but um, I mean, I do know, but um, what I've discovered or looking back is that all that focus and concentration that I learned to do when I was, you know, at the microscope, that ability to stare for hours in there and, and really focus almost meditatively. So that was a training for me to do shamanic work or the work that I do now, which really requires a lot of focus and concentration and a lot of presence. But I also, so in a way, my shift allowed me to do more of the things that I was already doing, but expanded that, like the things that I loved, it allowed me much more breathing room to do those things. Um, For me, which is, you know, encouraging others, being creative, telling stories and um, seeing potential, you know, and, and brainstorming. Those were some of the things that I did do that at work, but it was a really wee part of what I was doing by the end. You know, mostly I was. And I read, so you're an empath, like a really, really, really strong empath. Yep. And I read that you went into a stairwell and cried one time from just like all the pain that you were experiencing, how you really wanted to connect with people. And, And certainly pathology was a gift that brought a lot of value to people's lives. It was really essential healing work. But that there was a part of you that that what went unexpressed, so you weren't able to do that connection with people that you're now doing. 
Yeah. In this memoir, which I tell the story, Swimming of Elephants, Swimming with Elephants, where I talk about um, what happened to me uh, with my career and, and leaving medicine and then finding, you know, my, my true meaningful work once again that I have now. Yeah. Looking back, I had remembered this patient that I had seen in medical school and my resident and I would go visit this woman every day and she was in her mid thirties. She was at the time in a hospital in Minneapolis where we were doing a, a experimental bone marrow transplant protocol for women with metastatic um, or stage four breast cancer. And six months later, that protocol was pulled because, and stopped because it was harm. It was killing more people than it was benefiting. So it was extremely tough treatment. And anyway, this woman, we're visiting her every day and saying at the time her platelets were extremely low. So platelets are the part of your blood, the component of your blood that, you know, allows blood to clot so that you don't bleed to death, you know, when you scratch your hand or something like that. And so we were saying to her every morning, well, you know, your platelets are still hovering around 3000 or whatever, you know, we keep giving you transfusions, but they're not helping and we'll just keep giving you transfusions. And I remember just standing there thinking, oh my gosh, like, is anybody, like, this feels so useless what we're doing. And is anybody talking to her about the fact that she could die? Like, this is, you know, this is so serious. And I, I really just, I mean, maybe there was a, a, a chaplain or somebody else who was talking to her, but I felt like we were really missing the boat. Like it was so uncomfortable. And my, my resident was so wonderful. He was really present and he just spoke with her, like with the most loving, you know, he was so good with her. And I just thought, I want to be able to talk to her or serve her on this deeper level, but I don't even know how to do that. Like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. I just want to run. And all I could think was like, I'm not the kind of way I want to help people and heal, work with people, patients would be so different than what's happening here that I can't even fathom it. So instead I went into pathology, which was something I could comprehend, which was very linear, linear, logical. And by the way, I would avoid ever seeing patients and having to encounter the deep pain or the grief that they were in or the processes of dying that they were in. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of sidestepped my hero's journey. You know, they say on the hero's journey, you'll be called to it and you'll refuse it. And that's what I did. I refused it the first time around. It's like, no, thanks. I'll just go do this other thing. Cause then I can have a life and my family and all that kind of stuff. And not to say that that was a mistake. I think it was perfect. But then when I was, you know, early forties, it, that came back to me. It wasn't exactly like, Hey, you need to go back and say yes to your hero's journey. But it was this deep discomfort. And these little hints, you know, just day to day, because I think each day we're trying to do hard things. I'll give you an example from when I first started doing this. So it's just a simple method anybody can apply. So I was wanting to write a book, which was weird. I had my sabbatical and suddenly I'm like, I have a strong yearning to write a book. I'm like, what the hell? Where's that coming from? You know, but looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I suppressed that too. I mean, I suppressed a lot of stuff because whatever. I had other things I was doing. So that strong yearning came back, but I was like, how do you do that? I mean, I'd been reading my whole life, but I was like, how do you actually write a book? Really struggling with it. And so that day I was like, okay, I'm going to ask the BCs for a message because I'm trying to play with this new idea. And I went outside and went on a walk. I was like, okay, I need a beastie to show up to give me, you know, throw me a bone. <laughs> so my question is, you know, how do I write this book? And so you can go out with a question yourself. If you've got a question you don't know the answer to, go out with that question. How can I fix my marriage, get a better job, whatever it is. 
So the only thing I see that day of May, that I even really noticed, I mean, there were a lot of things, but the one thing that stood out to me was this ant kind of cruising across the sidewalk. So it wasn't even on the wild, out on the trail where I was really walking, but on the way home, I saw this ant cruising across the sidewalk with a big grain of sand and it's pinchers or whatever. And I was like, well, that's not super exciting. I mean, you know, my judgmental mind was like, ants, I need something spectacular. Like, give me a vulture, you know, give me something that flies in. And, you know, you kind of want this like rocket ship kind of thing. But I went back and I was like, okay, I saw, I was just writing it down in my journal. I saw an ant crossing it. And I was like, okay, if that's the message, what would it be? And then I was like, oh, well, you know, ants build these massive sort of mountainous, beautiful castles out of sand but they don't do it like all at once it's kind of like one grain of sand which I mean to do one of those things must be at 10,000 trips and they don't do it alone there's a lot of other ants so I started thinking okay what would it look like for me to walk across the sidewalk today with one grain of sand and so that day I just opened up a file and I typed my 10 ideas that I had for this animal spirit book And I didn't even know anything about, I mean, I was far from an expert on this topic, by the way. So like, you do not need to be an expert. You do not need to know everything, but you just need to start. So we never arrive, of course. (laughs) But was there, what was the moment when you knew, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, yes, there's that moment of inspiration, but where was the moment where you got enough critical mass where you thought, okay, this is, this is, this is it. This is going to happen. This is for real. Like the book itself or like my, I'm going to leave my job. Any of it. I think it was just, it happens so many different times. You recommit or you can recommit to it on a deeper level or you let go more. So it was incremental really. One story I tell is in the, um, in swimming with elephants as I talk about, um, when I was in my shamanic training, when I started that more in earnest, I entered this three-year program, which was an intensive like initiations and all this sort of stuff with the foundation for shamanic studies. And I remember my teacher at one of our meetings classes, she just looked around the room and she got very serious and very stern. And she, she was from Mexico, just beautiful woman in her late seventies, now in her eighties. She's like, this is my life. You know, this shamanic work, this is my life. And she just looked around us at all of us. It was just like, I felt like her eyes just burning holes in me. And I was just like, and I remember just writing it down. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't just like some dabbling or some class or some thing. It's like, this is her fucking life. Three or four months later, I was standing at the river and I just went, This is my life, and this is what I want to give my life to. Thanks for visiting Frau Amy's World. Today's episode featured Sarah Bamford Seidelman. If you enjoyed yourself, please subscribe to this podcast below, where you can also find links, offer a comment so people can find us, and I do welcome tips. Please and thank you for your support of my work. You can learn more about me at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.